The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Well, happy March, friend. Spring's on the way, you know. Not quite bikini weather yet, but you can safely dig your warm weather gear out of the drawer and get prepared. Prepared for Drew Blood Season 2. Meanwhile, Australia's just moving into autumn. Isn't that something? So, happy Adelaide Day, Australia. It must be their version of Halloween or something. Well, look who came out of hibernation. Sticking around for some stories, Chester? Well, whatever. He must have found himself a girlfriend. Neurotic teenagers. Come on in, friend. Hmm. Oh, that's better. I tell you, it's been a banner fucking year at Casa de Blood. I got a carton of cigarettes. The old man grabbed me and said, Hey, smoke up, Drew! Okay, so go home and cry to your daddy. Don't cry here, okay? Ooh, good movie. All right, friends, let's smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Because old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. But first, a word from the cats upstairs. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> This is season one, episode 23 of True Blood. <laughs> you has been to the standard edition of this program. Yeah! If you want to get that free version, you just go to SimpliScaryPodcast.com <laughs> and sign up as a patron. You can get access from my friends at Chili Tales for Dark Nights. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we're on the clock. Tonight we've got two tales from our pal down under, Jim Goforth, both revolving around life decisions and mortal consequences. In this first story, we meet a man whose past stumbles paved the path to perdition. So, without further delay, I give you from author Jim Goforth, Lago de los Perdidos. Moonlight spread across the unbroken surface of the lake. So damn perfectly it created a mirror image, its radiance splayed all out over the smooth waters. 
The night was so still, so bereft of even the smallest gust of breeze or gentle wafts of wind through the surrounding trees that the whole surface of the lake remained wholly flat, undisturbed and completely motionless. No tiny flickers of motion shifting eddies or minuscule waves along the lake surface. No swimming water creatures were in evidence, drifting up to break that flat reflective shimmer. It could have been some bizarre wilderness ice skating rink or an extraordinarily large plane of glass out here among the trees. Such was the total lack of disturbance to its waters, and the proliferation of moonlight captured not just the reflection of the moon's own gleaming face, but all of those towering stationary trees encircling it. This should have made for a picture of utter tranquility, a beautiful panorama that most would find an appreciation for but Booker Marsh considered himself incapable of finding the beauty within anything, compelled by inexplicable reasons to be out here on this serene quiet night. Far from the nearest port of civilization, he stumbled and shambled on wobbly legs, down the gently sloping gradient of earth which would carry him right to the soft muddy edges of the still lake itself, he lurched. His shoes, partially sinking into sodden ground, were splattered with wet flecks of mud and picked up fallen leaf debris and grass matter, so too the bottom of his trouser legs, but he paid that no mind. Instead, he continued on his uneven yet unerring path towards that giant rough circle of water spanned out like a black mirror bouncing back the benign gaze of the moon. Only then did he cease his movement standing still right at the edge of the waters, his feet mired in the clog of murky sludge. With the moonlight spilling over his shoulders, his reflection looked more like a dark silhouette, a black cardboard cutout of himself. When he dropped down onto his knees at the lake's edge, he saw himself in heroin detail, a gaunt, unshaven face populated by haunted eyes, underneath which black circles hung, making him look like the recipient of a heavyweight boxer's double knockout blow. He didn't see anything he hadn't seen in his bathroom mirror at home. There was the same defeated expression, the same desolation and brutally cold resignation, the air of a man who had comprehensively given up and abdicated to downfall. And with the utter stillness of the lake, it showed in the very same clarity as any mirror. Booker stared and stared into the depths, into his own reflection for what seemed to be an eternity, but nothing changed, nothing altered or shifted. No revelations or answers swam up from below to break the still waters and materialize in front of him. He was on the verge of dashing his hand into the lake to destroy that terrible desolate face gazing back at him when another reflection appeared alongside it, behind him. A pale woman with midnight waves of hair cascading down over slim shoulders, her eyes penetrating and dark. Lost somebody too, have you? She asked in a quiet but conversational tone. <laughs> Everybody. Booker said simply, not even questioning the appearance of another soul, a stranger at his side next to this remote body of water. Just everybody. Tell me about it, she said, and Booker wasn't entirely sure whether she meant quite literally or just in a simple colloquial sense, as if stating that she too was well aware of the crushing feeling of losing everybody. 
So he told her about it. My wife, my family, my children, I've lost them all. And it's through my own doing. She left me, took away the kids for good. I didn't see the signs, or at least if I did, I paid them no mind. I was too wrapped up in my own world, what I needed to be doing, what I wanted to be doing. I hated my stupid, dead-end mundane job, so I drank to be in a better place about it. Then I hit on the genius idea to win my way to freedom and financial success, so I did that. Fell in love with the idea that I could make enough money to drag us all out of a great big hole and make things right. Gambling what money I could and drinking the rest. Marrying the two. I successfully managed to make a fucking vicious cycle out of it. By drinking the money I won or pouring it back in to double it, triple it, maximize it. That one big score. Just that one. That was all I needed. What I was winning wasn't enough to take home, to worry about. Not enough to consider any type of success. So I drank some, played double or nothing with the rest. Over and over and over again. He paused briefly, still staring at his own visage in the water and hers standing behind him. When she merely nodded once and didn't elect to add any words, he continued talking, the words spilling out like alphabet vomit. You ever hear that song by Cinderella? Don't know what you've got till it's gone? Well, that's me. That's the story of my life. The summary of my life right there. I was ignoring my kids, neglecting my duties completely drifting through everything in a haze, desperate to be free of mediocrity and stress and goddamn everything. <sighs> and I didn't even see what I was doing to myself, to us, to them. So, she up and left me, took the kids away. Only then did I get smacked in the face by it and tried to win them all back tried to show I could change, that I had changed. It was going to be different. Then finally, when all the restraining orders and the police involvement and branding me a stalker failed to stop me trying to repair what I'd broken, Erica swore to me that she was going to take the lot of them far away. Somewhere I would never be able to find them no matter how hard I tried. And she was right. They're gone. I've looked and looked and searched this whole goddamn country over. I've looked every possible place, every impossible place. But they're all gone. I'll never see them again. With that, he lapsed into forlorn, hopeless silence his voice cracking as he renewed his fervent stare at a reflection which never changed. And that's why you came to Lago de los Perdidos. You came here to end your search. Because, of course, it isn't just known as the Lake of the Lost. It's the final swim. 
is the suicide waters. Japan has Okigohara, or the Sea of Trees, and we have the Lake of the Lost. Lost souls, lost hopes, lost lives. All come here. I didn't... Booker hesitated, finally breaking his transfixed stare from his own countenance, turning around to stare in perplexity at her, oblivious to the wash of mud soaking through his pant legs. I've never been here before. I don't even know where I am or what this place is. I just... came here. I came here to think about things. I certainly didn't come here to kill myself. He faltered, finishing the originally adamant statement weakly, wilting under her searching gaze. Oh, really? Is that so? The woman stooped swiftly, one long slender arm reaching out and lifting up the hem of his hanging shirt, plucking the gun out from the waistband of his trousers. She held it up, highlighting it in the moon's glow. This is pretty damning evidence that you did. But even more than that is the fact that you claim to have come here, not of your own volition, instead obligated to travel here. That is proof that yes, you do belong here, Booker Marsh. Nobody ever comes out to Lago de los Perdidos just to think, or to have a family picnic or a secret lover's getaway. Nobody comes here to fish, or to swim, or to sunbank by the shores. They don't journey here to enjoy the scenery, to fornicate lakeside beneath the stars, or to whisper sweet nothings into the ears of their loved ones. They only ever come here for one purpose. There is no other reason to be here, and all those who have ever come here have come strictly for that reason. Booker couldn't quite recall having introduced himself to her, but then again, maybe he had. After all, he couldn't remember why he'd been so fucking positive he had to be here on the muddy shores of a lake he had never heard of, much less visited before. There was a good chance he had spaced out into a haze where a whole lot of things might have happened, and he had vagued his way through everything as if he were sleepwalking. Why not? It was perfectly feasible. He'd virtually done that with his marriage, his life, the lives of his children, and failed to realize until it crumbled around him and left him kneeling in muddy debris while a complete stranger dissected his motivations more concisely than he could grasp. Yes, the gun stashed in his belt was to turn on himself, though why he couldn't have just swallowed a dose of lead in his own home or some dark lonely alley was a little beyond his comprehension at this point in time. What he hoped to discover in the depths of some expanse of water, he had no idea. Yet, he had been pulled here as surely as if some tether attached to him dragged him into the radius of it. Pulled by whatever force suggested merely jamming the barrel of the pistol in his mouth and riding his brains on a bullet out the top of his skull wasn't significant enough. You are no exception to the rule, Booker Marsh. You came here with the same intention as all those who have come before you. Here, let me show you. She moved up alongside him now and stooped down next to him, directing her attention into the still suicide waters. Booker didn't quite follow, and for an illogical moment, he thought she was about to throw herself in. 
Instead, she placed a hand on his unshaven cheek and gently but firmly commanded his attention back to the reflective mirror of the water. Temporarily, he saw his gaunt, haggard visage once more. Then he was seeing different things. Scenes as though he were sitting back watching some form of film unfold. A young woman, disheveled and blonde, in a short dress of indeterminable color, rips and tears all through the fabric. Her face a mass of lacerations and bloody contusions was traipsing down the same slope towards the lake he himself had taken. In her arms, she carried a small pile of house bricks with chains affixed to them. Calmly, she sat herself down on the banks and proceeded to wrap the chains around her ankles, then shimmied on her backside right down to the very edge of the lake. When she was close enough to the edge that she was fundamentally standing in water, she hoisted her armload of bricks, clinging to them tightly, and flung herself into the lake. Rather than a gradual slope into the deeper water, there must have been a sudden drop into depths much closer to the edge than Booker would have anticipated. Weighted down by her bricks and her chained ankles, the young female dropped down into the waters and vanished from sight. She never reappeared. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. In her place came another scenario. Another vision of folks beside this very lake. This time a couple, possibly not too much older than the female bricks and chains wielder. They screamed at each other furious and frantic words, spit flying in one another's faces, hair gusting around their heads as if they were in the center of not just some argument storm, but a billowing windstorm as well. Slaps were exchanged in the heat of the fiery exchange, the screaming and shouting escalating, before the man produced a thin knife, blade catching a spark of moonlight and briefly glinting in it. Then he stabbed the woman mid-scream, right in the throat, receiving a drenching torrent of blood and a shower all over his face. She slumped forward, collapsing, and he caught her in his arms, then gently lowered her to the slippery, mud-covered lakeside. 
before drawing the bloodied knife blade across his own throat. His figure tumbled in an awkward fall to recline in a bloodied repose of death alongside the slain woman. A young boy, his face a miserable screwed up vision of despair, pedaled a bicycle at a rapid pace, racing through the woods, ducking under trees. He was on a different slope to this one, possibly situated around the other side, but it was unmistakably the same lake, Lago de los Perdidos. Only the incline he came barreling down at a breakneck speed was far more angled than this side of the lake. A sharper and more abrupt one, one that pitched him straight down and way out into the water. The weight of his bicycle broke the lake's surface and hurled water up in a deluge before he came free of it, dropping with a splash of his own, independent of his machine. Quite some distance from any particular side of the lake, the boy's head broke the surface and he spluttered, floundering somewhat. It became painfully evident that the kid could not swim and didn't have the first idea where to begin. Yet, nor was he trying to, and nor did he cry out for help. His face was desolate and heart-wrenching with a grim expression of determination plastered upon it. The boy merely bobbed for a little while there in the ripples and eddies created by the bike crashing in, and then his head submerged. Unlike the previous girl deliberately weighing herself down with heavy implements to nullify flotation, the small shape of the boy eventually did resurface. Motionless and still, drifting in a lazy float until the ripples all finally died away and the water resumed its completely still facade once again. There were more, too. So many more. Some just pitifully sad and yet horrific in their own bleakness while others were awash with brutal finality, grisly and gruesome, with inundations of blood and a violence that kicked the breath right out of Booker. They splashed blood against his eyeballs, thrust abhorrent scenes of self-harm and murder-suicides into his brain with the savagery of knife-blade skewering him. They lanced his psyche. They scorched themselves into his memories with visceral horror and a relentless stream, seeming to speed up as the torment in each one escalated, building on the foundations of each preceding one until he thought his mind was about to crack like an eggshell dashed against a rock. It was akin to being strapped into somebody else's nightmare, or forcibly injected into a horror movie, a series of self-snuff films made to endure the endless parade of misery, despair, and ultimately death. <laughs> no! Booker screamed, yearning to force his voice into as loud a volume as he could muster, as if by puncturing the fabric of the night with a stentorian well, he could break whatever cursed conjuration this was, spilling grotesque and tragic scenes of death across the waters of the lake. <laughs> no, no, no! Make it stop! Make it stop now! I don't want to see any more! I want to live, goddammit! I want to live! I want to fucking live! Abruptly, the grisly torrent of images and people taking their lives in macabre and tragic ways dissipated, vanishing as if they had never been rolling across the screen of the lake in lurid technicolor at all, supplanted by the all-too-familiar sight of still water and his shocked face staring back at him, the quiet woman's alongside it. I want 
to fucking live. Booker reiterated, forcing the words out between gritted teeth. His jaw clenched so tight, it felt like bone would break in his cranium. No, you don't, Booker Marsh. His strange companion shook her head, a sad smile flitting across her lips. You didn't come to Lago de los Perdidos to live, which is fine, because nobody ever does. Nobody comes here expecting to walk away, or indeed wanting to walk away. They come here to end it, say their final goodbye, and as I said, you are no exception. I didn't show you that to dissuade you from your plan, for nothing I do can alter that from happening. Those are just some of those who have come before you. That's just a little history of the place you found yourself attached to. Attached to? No, no, there's nothing here I'm attached to. Thanks for the cold, hard dose of reality, lady, whoever you are, and whatever the fuck you're doing out here, but listen. That just reinforced my opinion that I'm a fool to consider taking my own life. I can pull myself out of this hole. I can start afresh. Things can never be so bad that thinking about taking a gun and blowing an exit wound in my head is a good idea. So thanks for showing me the light, however the fuck you did that. But I'm good with things now. I'll be walking out of here. That isn't how it works, she said, that sad smile now back on her face and firmly fixed in place. Not a mere flicker of an expression, but an unyielding one. One which didn't look to be vacating any time soon. You came here because you belong here. You didn't travel out here on a whim. You did so because you know and accept where your place is. No, lady, not so. Whatever fancy trickery you just used now to screw with my head actually just screwed my head on straight. Don't I have a choice? I'll tell you. Yes, I do have a choice. And I choose to live. I choose to walk away with my head held high. And to live. Of course you have a choice, she said softly. There is always a choice. However, you have already made your choice. And it is the last choice you are able to make. You chose to come to Lago de los Perdidos. That's the ultimate choice, and it's one which cannot be undone. All those who have gone down that path have remained here. They are all still here. Look around you, Booker Marsh. Look closely at everything. What do you see? He had come to the conclusion that this crazy woman was just some desperately lonely freak who must have either followed him here or perhaps had already been here living nearby maybe either that or she was on the knife edge of suicide herself and was fervently trying to keep him here in her presence clinging on the thread of companionship he presented nonetheless booker humored her by looking by her asking him to look around at his surroundings booker made the assumption she was referring to the trees and things the landscape and so forth so he gazed first at the trees, scrutinizing them for whatever mindless reason she wanted him to. What he gazed upon turned his blood to ice water, blasted an explosion of shock and sheer dread throughout every fiber of his being. 
every single tree surrounding the spread of the lake. Those on the far side and all of those circled out and around behind him were comprised not of wood, bark, and leaves. Instead, their twisted, gnarled trunks were constructed entirely of human bodies, knotted together in a hideous tapestry, a giant amalgamation of flesh with torsos, legs, and arms all intricately bound together to create the mass of the tree trunk. They spanned up and even farther to compose stretching branches, whole bodies held impossibly in gruesome thrall out at irregular angles from the solid flesh trunk. Wide open, eternally reaching hands becoming twigs and smaller sticks growing off the ends of these branch entities. The skin of many of those ghastly tree components was so scarred and burned in places, evidently from whatever trauma suffered prior to their death or during, that it actually resembled a hideous form of bark, making their tree-like resemblance even more uncanny. Still others were formed from collages of human bone, stark white femurs and fibulas, flesh-stripped fingers, the curved blades of rib cages. While many of these human choked tree creations were devoid of foliage and stabbed stark spikes of branches and limbs, human limbs and reaching extremities, into the night sky, still others did feature their ghastly interpretation of leaves, and this came in the form of human hair. The stillness of the night was no longer in occurrence. Breezes were beginning to infiltrate, and as they did, blowing through these abhorrent trees of human flesh and bone, they buffeted the hair foliage around, spreading longer scalps out and billowing curtains whilst ruffling other shorter ones into freakish motion. Follicles captured by the gusting winds created an unearthly sound, not unlike that of leaves rustling in an ordinary tree caught amidst an upsurge in wind activity. As Booker gaped in soundless horror, blinking then blinking again, even temporarily squeezing his eyes as tight as he possibly could before snapping them open again to see if the visual atrocity remained, he found it wasn't just the trees which were not as they originally seemed. It was absolutely everything about and around the lake itself perverse, twisted, and morphed into something that must have been dredged from the deepest pits of the darkest nightmares. The lake itself, now alive with churning currents, ripples, and waves being generated by the increase in winds, starting to howl and whistle with frenetic intensity around the vicinity, played host to images again as well. Or were these terrible phantasmagorias actually part of the water, like the trees? They seemed to be, the choppy surfaces, the oscillating waves, they all appeared to be faces, spanning out all over the lake in its entirety, from shore to shore. So many faces, complete with tragic eyes, filled with unimaginable suffering, all of them piercing into Booker's soul. And these waters of the lake, they weren't clear, nor did they generate the illusion of being blue, or here at night even black. They ran red, as though the body of water was completely composed of blood, the blood of all those whose faces merged in a miasma of grief and desolation, faces in Lago de los Perdidos, the faces of the lost. The muddy ground he knelt in wasn't merely sodden earth, it was as red with thick blood as the waters, 
coagulating around his saturated legs, seeping from the banks down into a merge with the lake, and faces stared at him from there too. Bodies, side by side, or nodded inexorably around one another in bizarre entanglements one couldn't possibly hope to achieve in life, like some large mass grave were the ground. The thin reedy grass lining the shores and marching back up the incline to the top of the embankment overlooking the lake was the human hair of many, waving and moving consistently in the bluster of the mountain winds. So too were the weeds, choking shallow sections of the lake near the bank. Even those pale rounded rocks visible just under the surface of the water and others partially submerged, looking as though they had been washed smooth by constant interaction with the water, were not rocks at all. They were human skulls, some adult-sized, some horrifyingly tiny, children's, even those of mere infants. Blacking clouds, bruised and swollen, scudded across the skies chasing the moon in the prior stillness of the night first into retreat and then complete surrender. Booker screamed himself ragged in equal measures horrified shock and complete disbelief. Though she hadn't touched him, bar that simple firm graze of her hand against his face to turn his attention to the visual horror soon to be exposed on the screen of the lake's waters, he was certain she must have done something to him. Perhaps she had drugged him, hypnotized him. Somehow she insinuated her way into his mind with the hideous influence that led him to conjure up this panorama of impossibility. What have you done to me? What did you do to me? Did you drug me? What have you done? I'm afraid there's nothing I can do to you, Booker Marsh. I can only show you the real face of Lago de los Perdidos. And this is it. This is what you see before you now. The rest you have done yourself. You came here because you belong here. One with the rest of the lost. You know that. No, I don't. If it is any consolation... And I'm sure it must be, she said, and predictably, that same sad smile adorned her pale features, swimming in her eyes as well with a forlorn, resigned sympathy, an expression of the inevitable. You will soon be with your family once more. <laughs> what? Booker stared at her with his eyes wide and wild, his hands curled into fists of shock at his side so tightly that the nails sliced deep lacerations into his palms, leaking further blood out between his fingers to mingle with that of the ground and the waters. That doesn't even make any sense. No fucking sense at all. My wife took herself and my kids away from me. Somewhere where I would never find them. Ever. She's hiding somewhere, and I won't ever be with them again because I can't find them. No matter how hard I try. She did, Booker Marsh. She did exactly that. She found somewhere where you wouldn't be able to find any of them. Until now. How do you... I don't understand. The woman didn't speak again. 
Instead, she repeated her gesture of putting a hand to his face and turning it back out towards the lake. As much as he had no desire to look that way, he had no desire to look anywhere at all. All around him was a grisly montage of death, of human suffering, misery knotted together in eternal bonds of hopelessness and finality in this terrible place where all who had journeyed here did so to die. Nonetheless, Booker did shift his path of vision back out there, and once more the screen of images played, rolling on wretchedness over the skittering waves of faces. He recognized what was being depicted now as a closer view of a scene emerging in the barrage of torment which played out earlier. Part of the mind-numbing display of tragedies merging together once the images began to speed up and pound at his sight with jackhammer intensity. It showed a nondescript car parked atop a cliff, not unlike the highest point on the far side of the final swim. In comparison to much of the bloody horror, violence, and gut-wrenching atrocity many of those ridden into suicide inflicted upon themselves in the previous visual headfuck, this scene was almost one of serenity and peaceful tranquility, as if somebody merely traveled up to a nice vantage point overlooking the lake to drink in the view and enjoy the solitude. Though, of course, as Booker's abnormally adamant female companion here stated so firmly, nobody would ever come to Lago de los Perdidos for that purpose. He hadn't witnessed a vehicle up this close before in the torrent of terror, and nor had he given it much consideration, merely filing that away with the rest of the terrible things, just another lost soul seeking the coup de grace on their meaningless existence in the presence of the suicide waters. This time, though, there was more to see, more to take in, more horrific shock to shrink the power of rational thought down into nothingness. Behind the wheel of the stationary automobile was Booker's own wife, Erica, and strapped in by their seatbelts in the back seats, his children, the people he had not seen since she vowed so comprehensively to keep their whereabouts from him eternally secret. Her expression was grim and resolute, and yet horribly melancholy, while those of the kids were just placid, filled with simple innocence and the lack of true acknowledgement of why they were where they were, as if he were witnessing something happening right now, as if the terrified, ragged pitch of his voice could even reach her. Booker screamed as the engine suddenly roared. The car lurched into life and pitched forward, gaining speed as the accelerator was stamped on with a fierce determination, and as Booker's shrieks rose and echoed into the night in a hellish duet with the storming winds, the vehicle plunged over the edge of the cliff. It descended down into the waters. As the shockwave ripples of its impact eventually ebbed away, back to the perpetual stillness, nothing broke the waters. Nothing and nobody surfaced. Booker felt the last vestiges of his sanity draining, felt as though his mind was breaking up completely. And when the woman took him by the hand, still dripping rivulets of blood, lifting him up to his feet, he acquiesced with simple compliance. 
He followed her lead as she stepped on the bodies and faces of souls interred within the ground. Wading out into the waters, pained faces swimming around their waists. All around them, the storm was a tempest of sheer ferocity and intensity, such that it blasted the fronds of human hair comprising the grass flat to the corpse ground, kicked up enormous waves of blood water, and even bent the trees. Humana trees, Booker giggled insanely inside his head, swirling down into a deep chasm of madness, literally in half. Then one of those congested tangles of bodies morphed and fashioned by whatever bizarre power shaped every inch of this lake and its freakish surroundings. One of those tree entities was buffeted by a surge of wind, which ripped it right over into an arc that carried it out right across the lake to where he and his silent companion stood, now up to their necks in water and bloody face shapes. The branches swinging human finger twigs and the hairy leaf matter out toward him were those of his wife. The bodies of his children inextricably entwined with their body lower down the tree. They snagged him and plucked him up from the choppy frothing waters. And as the wind snapped the tree upwards again, Booker Marsh was taken with it, enveloped within it. Branches encircled him trapped him and embraced him with inexorable force, clinging tight to him with twig fingers until his corpse too was one with them. The blustering squalls of wind died away. The humanitree stilled their motion. The woman immersed in blood water slipped beneath the surface. The smooth flat plain of Lago de los Perdidos once more stretched from shore to shore. Completely still, beneath a moon and a sky no longer blackened by clouds. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And that was Lago de los Perdidos by Jim Goforth. A reminder how easy it is for a lost soul to veer off course. But when that happens, I usually just go for a bago de los Doritos. I'm no better help counselor, but that's my recommendation. And for our second story, we're heading back into the water. We join a petty criminal fresh off a big score. The heist went off without a hitch, but what comes around next is anyone's guess. Again, from author Jim Goforth, I give you Sewer Dwellers. They'd never find them down here. 
Shit, they'd never even think of looking for him down here. He was a genius, thinking outside the box, and it was just how he was going to evade capture. Petty criminal Manny Holden wasn't so petty anymore. He just managed to promote himself from that by staging the biggest heist of his career. All his random breaking enters, small-time cons, and scattered snatching grabs had been eclipsed by a daring bank robbery carried out with the assistance of nobody else. No getaway driver, no partner, no team, no lookout. Just him, pulling one hell of an audacious robbery and escaping with a loaded bag of loot before police were even on the scene. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision, not some impromptu opportunistic action, but nor was it planned meticulously. It was spawned from the seeds of an idea, falling in his lap by being in the right place at the right time, and overhearing a snippet of conversation that wasn't intended for him, inadvertently eavesdropping on a pair of bank security guards making mention of the fact that there appeared to be some glitch in the camera system, where every day at precisely noon, all the cameras inexplicably cut out was an opportunity Manny simply could not pass up, particularly when the same conversation also contained a very useful nugget of information that nobody would be in to investigate and rectify that issue until late Wednesday afternoon. Manny heard all that on Monday morning. At noon on Tuesday, he was pulling off his supreme gig, getting cashed up to the hilt while the hamstrung bank was vulnerable and lacking cameras. He was in and out in a flash, without injury or death to anybody. His sheer audacity had taken them all by surprise. Now, instead of making for one of his usual hideouts or associates' dwellings, or anything like that, he was getting creative. Which was why he was way below the city streets, down in the sewers, an underground network of tunnels where no cops were likely to consider he'd be hiding out. Manny liked to think he was a step ahead of his peers in regard to dealing with how best to avoid detection after a job. They were mostly creatures of habit, predictable to a T and heading straight for their known haunts and usual places to lay low. Even though we knew he was in and out of that bank like grease fucking lightning, without his image captured on any single one of the cameras, he still wasn't about to make for his standard places. Not with this bounty. He was going to play it safe as possible and aim for somewhere out of left field, somewhere he wouldn't be found. He could stand wading through some foul sludge or whatever, lurking down in the dark, or whatever was going to present itself down in the sewers for the sake of slipping the net of cops he knew would be converging on the scene right about now. They'd be spreading a search pretty widely once they discovered he wasn't in the immediate vicinity, but they sure as hell wouldn't even consider the fact that he had gone underground almost as soon as he had exited the bank. Doing a little recon around the bank on Monday afternoon, after he'd discovered that little tidbit of information about the camera flaw, he'd spied the manhole just out the back. He'd been scoping out a possible place to go straight into hiding, and since he hadn't wanted to involve anybody else and have to share the wealth, he needed an immediate place to vanish from sight. 
By Monday evening, he was in his squalid little one-bedroom apartment with his plan sorted. Fuck yes, he'd trudge through some shit down beneath the city streets if it meant no motherfucker was clever enough to think outside the box like him. And the deuce he'd not only gone to ground, but he'd gone underground like some cunning sewer rat. Probably wasn't the first time some ingenious thief had thought of such a thing. But Manny liked to think the most bank robbers rolled up in a posse with a getaway car on hand and a hideaway location to jet off for. He'd figure out his next move once he got his ass far enough away from the general vicinity of the bank, while the cops were chasing their tails all over the place up above them. It was a big-ass city. They'd scoured the shit out of that before it dawned on anybody that he hadn't fucked around hiding out in any building. He'd moved fast, or at least as fast as he could down here in the dark. He'd been smart enough to anticipate he'd need some form of illumination down below the city streets. So he had prepared for it by stashing a flashlight in his bag as well as the other necessary requirements. A gun and a simple balaclava. Sure, the cameras were out, but that didn't mean he wanted the tellers, guards, and other patrons to have his mug all over the place on a perfect identikit image. He'd gone with a simple flashlight, nothing too big or too small. He expected he'd largely be alone down here, but he wasn't naive enough to think other folks didn't loiter down here. Shit, he'd heard some bizarre stories about what might go down in the dark in his network of tunnels, and though it made him a little wary, not enough to abort the mission. Just enough to be glad he had some light to be able to see what he was running into. Besides that, he didn't want to be tripping over, breaking bones, or any such shit like that. The moderate beam of light speared through the dark, playing over the curves of walls, bouncing off puddles and larger bodies of filthy water. The odor was horrendous, but he hadn't been expecting it to smell like roses down here. He knew some sacrifices had to be made with regards to comfort in order to reach the greater goal of freedom and stolen affluence. He was prepared to do that. He could deal with the stench, the dark, the uncomfortable sensation of having to slog through fetid, stagnant shit water. Hell, after he figured he was far enough away to pop his head up above ground, he could secrete himself away in some remote motel. Nothing too fancy, just a place to stay until he sorted where he was going to head. His passport was in order. He could haul ass out of the country sure enough and nobody would be on to him. He'd be away and gone like a race before the cops realized they needed to widen the search. There were bugs down here too, lots of them, mostly mosquitoes. Manny was ambivalent about insects for the most part but he was certainly no fan of them, especially mosquitoes, little blood-sucking motherfucking miniature vampires. He swatted at them as they drifted in and out, swirling around his vision or skittering across his beam of light. They came at him from above, below, either side, looking to explore the exposed areas of skin. While their infernal buzzing was infuriating, he was mostly shuddering about imagining what sort of diseases they might be carrying. Down here breeding in the stagnant filth shit and dank scummy water, 
Who knew what kind of maladies the army of insectile vampires could inflict with their incessant need to bite and feed on blood? Being no expert on either disease or mosquitoes, Manny couldn't rightly say whether that was the case, but he had words like typhoid and malaria chasing themselves through his brain. Again, it was probably all bullshit. He knew he wasn't the only person who had ever been down here, and he was fairly certain maintenance people came down here all the time and didn't contract lethal diseases from mosquito bites. It was more an annoyance than anything, having them send bombardments and midget air raid strikes at them every few feet or so. But all the same, he couldn't switch off his various trains of thought. The tunnel system itself was a bit of a mess. It curled and curved around, sometimes stretching out into a long straightaway where he had a reasonably clear vision of what lay ahead. The whole thing seemed like it was designed by some blind drunken engineer who must have snared those qualifications from a cereal box. Still, it all aided in moving Manny away from the spot he'd come down. That particular manhole, out in the back of the bank, had to be quite some distance back behind him, despite however many loops he had navigated following the tunnels. He figured he'd press on a little while longer before contemplating looking for an exit point. He could cope with the feral stench, the dark, the slosh of grotesque water around his feet, and the claustrophobic feeling he was getting just from being underground a little more. All sacrifices he was willing to make. Comfort would come soon enough and he'd sure as hell enjoy it when it did. The tunnels themselves were quite wide and there was plenty of space, so it wasn't as if those big curved walls felt as though they were closing in on him. It was merely the fact that he was aware he was traversing a network below streets, down below ground level. Giving that too much thought wasn't overly comforting either letting his mind start to wander into domains where something above fucked up and sent cars and buildings plummeting through wasn't a plan. Having shit capsize on him while he was caught between exit points was not his idea of a good time. There was enough shit down here as it was. He was wading through it. Contemplating the potential of being infected with some deadly blood disease borne by blood-sucking sewer parasites or having the street above cave in on him was distracting him from the whole reason he was down here, and that was no good. He needed to stay sharp, keep focused. Though he was certain he was undetected down here, too swift and too cunning with his plan from the get-go for the cops to be even aware of where he had disappeared to, it wouldn't pay to get lazy and clock off. By the time they probably did conclude or some forward thinker in the force proposed the notion he'd maybe vanish into the sewer network, he'd be back above ground, hopefully en route to some destination far from this city. But all the same, he thought he should stay on guard, just on the off chance someone cottoned on quicker than he'd like them to. A scream shattered all focus. It came bouncing through the tunnels in a wave of reverberations, slicing through the stifling mosquito-riddled atmosphere with a blood-curdling intensity. It stopped Manny dead in his tracks, freezing stock still. He was currently amid one of the more convoluted sections of the network, 
so even with his light beam playing out in front of him, he couldn't see ahead, but he knew that chilling scream emanated from the same plane he was on. It hadn't issued from above. No, it was somebody also down in the tunnels. Manny didn't know what the fuck he was supposed to do now. The sound came from the direction he'd been aiming in, though there were multiple crisscrossing intersections he could choose to take. Following the tunnel he'd been intending to was probably going to carry him a greater distance from where he had entered the network and consequently the scene of the robbery, but it would also seem to take him right in the direction of that spine-chilling scream. Of all the noises he expected to hear down here, that was just about the last. The sloshing and gurgling of water, the steady drip of it down walls, of course, the infernal constant hum and buzz of mosquitoes and other insect vermin, possibly even the scuttling of rats, they were all he had anticipated he'd hear. Maybe even the sounds of traffic from the streets above. He was somewhat surprised he hadn't heard any of that. Any he had heard was indistinct and barely audible, as if he was so far below ground he couldn't tell if he was actually on the streets after all. He guessed he should have been keeping his ears pricked up for the shrill scree of police sirens, but he had heard none of those either, which was probably a good thing. What wasn't a good thing was that high-pitched shriek of terror reverberating off the tunnel walls. Manny's imagination ran wild, his head filled with snatches of conversations he had overheard or been involved in regarding potential things that occurred down here. People being abducted off the streets and dragged down here to be tortured, raped, mutilated, murdered. Sacrificial rituals. Drug dealers and cartels using the tunnels as a method of transportation in the hope of remaining undetected. In hindsight, many wondered if one of those conversations regarding the latter happening was the catalyst for him being down here now. Using sewer tunnels were the same thing. He thought he was being pretty fucking clever conjuring up the notion, but perhaps the seeds of the idea had already been planted in his head, and he was inadvertently drawn on those half-recollected snippets of talk. In any case, Manny sure as hell didn't want to stumble over any of the above. He found most of those crimes repellent, repugnant. He was a small-time hold-up man, a simple smash-and-grab opportunistic robber, a mere petty thief, he had just managed to land a big-time gig for the first time in his life as if Lady Luck had finally decided to smile on him. Sure, he had carried a gun and wielded it, but in truth, he had never had to use it, aside from brandishing it and threatening with it. He doubted he could even shoot somebody if they did happen to oppose his directive. He supposed that probably made him somewhat inferior in his chosen profession, but shit, if he made it out of these tunnels home free, he wouldn't have to worry about pulling another job in his life. If he made it out. That scream had his nerves shot, the hair standing up on the back of his neck, goose flesh creeping along his exposed skin, more than a handful of pesky mosquito bites there too. And if he kept going the way he was going, he was going to come up smack bang right on the source of the terrified shriek. There was a bend up ahead, so he couldn't see what caused the apparent terror, 
but he could see that unbelievably, there appeared to be some source of illumination around it. A dull glow, but one nonetheless threw flickering shadows and cast more light than he would have expected on the tunnel walls. Manny edged closer to the wall, pointing his flashlight at the ground. He didn't want to look, didn't want to see, didn't even want to know what was going on. Yet, as if his sewer water-saturated boots were compelled to move of their own volition, they did so. And as much as he didn't want to, Manny found himself hugging the wall and peering out around the corner as far as he dared. He couldn't see just where that gloomy light was derived from. Maybe there was some lanterns or such scattered down there, but there was certainly enough of it to present and allow him abundant visibility, albeit with the scene clustered and cloaked in shadows. The unearthly light made things look surreal and unnatural, blasting all those horror stories back into his head, pushing to the forefront. The screaming woman, blundering in an erratic shamble through the tunnels, didn't aid in chasing those thoughts away. Her clothing, a shapeless, filthy bag of a dress that billowed around her, and her unkempt, disheveled appearance seemed to mock her as one of those many transient souls Manny witnessed on the city streets every day, or at least that was his immediate impression. Either that, or she was one of those women dragged down here by some sewer-creeping aggressor, and she had been down here quite some time, unable to find her way back up. Manny didn't think the latter was likely. It was more probable that she was one of the Manny homeless wandering or even living down here. He supposed it was probably a frequent occurrence. Down here, people were less likely to get hassled, moved on by police, threatened by the sorts of street-dwelling thugs who considered it sport to bash or torment the homeless, or abused by those with some vendetta against them. Whatever the case, the woman was terrified, the whites of her wide rolling eyes visible even in the erratic illumination from whatever the fuck it was casting that strange light glow. As she splashed through ankle-deep filthy water, shadows streaked across her visage, but the terror didn't subside. Then he saw why. Something was following the stumbling, panicked woman, chasing her through the tunnels and that putrid, stagnant, watery mire. It was inconceivable and completely fucking ludicrous what he was looking at, but it was there, impossible to mistake. Even in the haphazard gleams of the light, a mosquito. Not one of the pint-sized aerial bomber motherfuckers trying to needle him and siphon his blood out by the drop. No, this was an unbelievable behemoth, an aberration, a goddamn mutant giant. It was the size of a small bird. No, fuck that, a big bird. Way bigger than a sparrow or a hummingbird or any of that shit. Manny was no good with bird names, so he couldn't quite think of the one comparable. But the beast he was gazing at with disbelieving eyes was undisputably a mosquito. It drifted with the same mosquito flight as those pesky little bastards, neither ultra-fast nor too sluggish. It moved with purpose, though, trailing after the woman as if it knew it could easily catch her when it so desired. She ran as though it were right on her heels, about to attack any second, still screaming. 
Manny could see what was going to happen before it did. And then it did happen. Her ill-fitting shoes, sandals of some description, slipped into sludgy Maya. She went down in a collapse of tangled limbs. Her mouth, gaping wide in preparation for another high-pitched shriek, was filled with the foul water as her face landed in it. Manny wasn't sure if she had also cracked her head when she hit the deck, but she never came up again. The massive mosquito monster landed almost lazily on her back. Manny didn't want to watch but felt unable to wrench his eyes away. He shuddered to think what it felt like having that thing land on a body. It wouldn't be anything like your average garden variety mosquito. Half the time you weren't aware those tiny blood thieves were on you until it was too late and they were needling you and taking off with a nip of purloined red. Not this beast. There would be weight in it. Horrible, creepy, crawly, freaky insect weight. He didn't know if she was dead, unconscious, or drowning on that mouthful of sewer water, but she still wasn't moving. Not even when that freakish entity landed atop her and advanced up her prone back. As he watched, transfixed with disbelief and horror, he saw the creature's sensory palps twitching, perhaps in anticipation or discerning where best to strike. Then the proboscis of the beast, looking as large as the biggest needle Manny had ever had the misfortune of witnessing in a doctor's office once upon a time, stabbed forward. It plunged straight into the nape of the fallen female's neck, her untidy mess of hair flopping forward when she fell draped either side of her head and floated out in tangles across the watery mire and left the back of her neck exposed. Unable to believe what he was watching, Manny realized the giant proboscis was translucent and he could see the blood, unnaturally red in the strange light gleam, being sucked up the feeding pipe. He also acknowledged something else. The source of the illumination here in this tunnel of terror was the mosquito mutant itself. In particular, its wings. They beat back and forth as the blood, mixing with mosquito saliva, continued its ascent up that grotesque proboscis, the pace intensifying, and Manny saw the illumination was shining from the hideous appendages like some bastardized hybrid of a mosquito and a firefly. This bizarre behemoth was responsible for the amount of radiance in this tunnel, making it quite possible for Manny to be watching the entire scene without needing to shine his own flashlight on it. However, one mosquito, no matter how enormous, didn't seem like it could be the sole reason for so much illumination to be evident in what would otherwise be a place bordering on pitch black. Chills pricked his skin. Finally, he was able to tear his eyes away from the grisly scene, but he knew he was only going to be resting them on something worse. Slowly, his gaze trailed up the walls of the tunnel. Up near the very top of these walls and hanging from the tunnel roof like oversized vampire bats were more of these horrific insect monstrosities. Many more. So many he couldn't even begin to count. Just sitting there, hunched, waiting. He thought they should have been clustered more around the stagnant areas of water on the floor, but figured it was damp enough all the way up there too. It was damp enough in his trousers soon too. 
Inadvertently, the sight of so many mutant freaks triggered a burst of fearful piss, and it soaked its way down his leg. Another sound lurched into the sudden quiescence in the sewer tunnels. The face-first flop into the sludge had quelled the woman screaming, and silence descended instead. The monstrous mosquito didn't even buzz or make any noise, bar the insane flapping of its wings as it drew the sanguinary supper from the miserable victim. But now, another noise was arriving. The sound of something heavy thudding along the tunnel floor. Ponderous dragon footsteps punctuated by great splashes in the murky stream. Again, Manny felt like a hapless rabbit trapped in the spotlight, his eyes rolling down from the mass of gigantic mosquitoes on the roof back down the tunnel behind the fallen woman and her insectile feeder. As he watched, eyes boggling wide, something emerged, throwing a huge mass of darkness into the center of the illuminated area. Something misshapen, grotesque, and impossible. Covered in both a matted thick pelt of hair as well as erratic patches of scaled skin, it looked like some patchwork creation stitched together of pieces of all kinds of different nightmares. There were long ape-like arms with shovel-sized hands, a bushy tail dragging its matted length in the sewer sludge, scaly tree trunk legs, an abomination of a face so lumpy and irregular it looked like a drunken child's clay artwork. This frightening visage was as dark as the blackness that should have been saturating these underground channels, which made the sheer whiteness of the eyes stand out so starkly. These were completely opaque, and as Manny looked on in horror, rooted to the spot, observing the monstrous head turning this way and that with great nostril slits distending and then shrinking, he realized the feral aberration was blind. That lessened the crippling fear currently holding him in thrall against the tunnel wall only slightly. No sight wouldn't mean the anomalous freak wouldn't be able to locate him, it would merely rely on other heightened senses. And yet, he couldn't run. His legs felt like useless lumps of meat clad in piss-soaked pants, as if he was paralyzed, compelled somehow to remain here and watch how this played out. The gorging mosquito disengaged from the slumped woman. She had to be dead now, drowned in that filthy water. She'd been face down in that mess for far too long, Manny assumed, though it probably wasn't quite as long as it felt. Born on those freakishly shimmering wings, the giant insect rose from the body and angled its flight path toward the slowly trudging nightmare beast casting a malformed shadow through the tunnel. This time it did emit a buzzing, and the sound was a high-pitched scree that was akin to fingernails scraping down a blackboard. As it resonated through the tunnels, the fluctuation of the beast's nostrils increased, and then below them, a great maw gaped open. From it extended the grotesque tongue, a broad, sickly, khaki slab of flesh that wasn't merely forked, but segmented in three sections that appeared to lash at the air independently of one another. The mosquito hovered in the air just before the expectant aberration, and as the three-pronged tongue jutted out further, flickering in an unsynchronized dance, the proboscis of the insect penetrated the fleshy protuberance. 
In his horrified trance, Manny watched the blood he had just seen extracted from the unfortunate woman flow back down the mosquito's transparent tube and be injected into the ghastly green tongue. When every drop was expelled, the enormous insect withdrew its proboscis and then retreated a short distance, hovering in the air. As if he hadn't already drenched his trousers enough, Manny's bladder obviously saw fit to unleash another torrent. He pissed himself once more as the nightmare beast appeared to go into some sort of excited paroxysms, as if it found the taste of the blood an exquisite affair indeed. It looked like it was in the midst of some blood-induced orgasm. Manny found it both repulsive and horrifying, but still couldn't will his jelly legs to move. The misshapen monster mass moved, faster than he had thought possible, judging from the slow tread of its walking gait. An arm, both bristling with coarse hair and coated with scale hide, was flung out in front of the bulk of the beast. Shovel hands with bizarre fingers that looked akin to beaver claws snatched a fallen woman right out of the stagnant stream of murk and hauled her aloft. They flipped her, dumping her on her back so she landed partially in the mire, her head and torso bent against the curve of the tunnel wall. The beast hunkered down, deformed shoulders littered with black hair tufts and scaled spiky protuberances rolling forward as its hands, tipped with those ugly filth-encrusted beaver claws, ripped right through the flimsy material of the woman's muddy dress. Ripped right through her stomach with the sound that made Manny's stomach churn. He fought the rising nausea as the freakish paws delved deeper into the torn flesh. Blood spurted. Tangles of looped entrails uncoiled around the scavenging hands, flopping out of the aperture and splashing into the watery mire. The three-pronged tongue lashed furiously at the air. Then the face of the beast was buried in that bloody wren, the tongue lapping at the profuse gore. A mass of fluttering and flapping from above signaled the movement of the mosquito horde on the walls and roof, as if the moment of the grotesque beast's head dipping into the ruined flesh was a green light for them to move. It was a green light for Manny to move, too. He finally managed to coerce his legs into realizing they had to fucking move, but not before he caught sight of the insect horde descending from the tunnel roof their bizarre luminescent wings beating an ominous tattoo. Enormous proboscises, twitching in anticipation, were extended. Masses of legs aiming for the pile of ruined flesh that was currently being further desecrated by the blind sewer creature. Manny had had enough. He'd seen too much. He didn't want to see any more. Certainly not that mass of mutant mosquitoes stabbing the mutilated flesh in bloodthirsty bids to drain it, and certainly not any more of that unspeakable monstrosity dining on gory innards. He turned about face and made tracks back the way he'd come. Trying to leave quietly was the name of the game, but getting the hell out of there as quickly as possible was more imperative, so he figured he was probably sacrificing some quiet for the sake of speed. His feet slapped noisily in the foul sewer stream, splashing it in abundance up his legs. He didn't care about that. His pants were already saturated in piss. How much worse could a little sewer water be? It had to be a damn sight better than having them drenched in his own blood. 
His flashlight beam, seeming so tiny and ineffectual now in comparison to the ghastly glow thrown out by the mosquito swarm with their eerie effulgence, jostled and skittered erratically as he ran. He couldn't keep a hand steady to direct the light, so it was a frantic and panicked run where he wasn't just fearing being run down by either a giant horde of mutant monsters or sewer-dwelling freak predators, but losing his footing in the slippery mess below and going down like the luckless vagrant woman, or running face-first into a wall and busting his skull open, falling on a busted beer bottle and slicing his guts open, getting penetrated by a discarded hypodermic needle. They were small fears in comparison to the mammoth one of the incredulous abnormalities back behind him, but they were real nonetheless, all of them jostling for attention in his fevered brain. He didn't want to follow the exact same trajectory and end up back where he had started, and he didn't have to. He recalled passing through an intersection in the tunnel network, not too far back from the curve. He tried to get his shaking hands to keep the flashlight steady enough so he didn't overrun it. This time, luck was on his side. Manny hit the intersection skating through the sewer stream. He didn't dare look back over his shoulder, stricken with the fear that if he did, he would see either a flapping swarm of huge bloodsuckers on his heels or that whatever the fuck it was, bearing down on him. Not seeing either, not even looking back, was a flimsy security blanket for him. If he couldn't see them, then they wouldn't be there. Not looking was the best way to keep from seeing them and keeping that mental veil of sanctuary up. His bag, laden with stacks of stolen bills, thumped against his back. He had almost completely forgotten about it, but now, having to run for his life, he was sharply reminded of it. The weight dragged down on his shoulders. Dumping it would have given him the ability to move faster. But fuck that. He wasn't doing it. He veered left at the intersection and charged into an as-yet unexplored section of the network. The light shot in haphazard lines across the curved walls. Manny couldn't hear any insane flapping heralding imminent death behind him. But that didn't necessarily mean they weren't there. Mutant bastards hadn't made any sound at all until just before injecting the monstrosity's tongue, shooting the blood directly into it for the freak to taste and whet its appetite. Manny convulsed involuntarily in revulsion and fear, mind replaying those grotesque moments. He almost skidded in the muck and landed on his ass and had to correct his awkward, desperate running style. His breath huffed out in ragged gasps. He wondered if slowing to a walk would be safe now. After all the jobs he had pulled and fast foot races he had had to participate in before, he'd have thought he would be in better condition to run and run and fucking run, but abject terror and disbelief had stolen that ability away from him. Now he was a gasping mess on the verge of collapse, weighted down by a fortune in stolen banknotes. The flashlight beam bounced off a wall, looming up in front of him unexpectedly. For a brief second he feared he'd run himself into a dead end, until he realized it curved left. Going back to the intersection to take the other route wasn't an option. If the insect flock were coming, they'd be there by now. 
choking the escape zone in a luminescent cloud of blood-sucking, freak-feeding mutant death. Manny cut around the corner, spearing his light into the darkness. Only it wasn't dark around there at all. It was a blaze with the same shimmering bizarre effulgence around the other corner he had just fled from, for precisely the same reason. The tunnel walls, damp with fetid ooze and other indeterminable matter, were lit up with the glow derived from those unusual wings of myriad gigantic mosquito beasts. And these ones weren't merely hanging from the roof or clustering at the wall tops waiting for their moment to penetrate flesh and drain blood. They were in flight, hovering and drifting in the expanse of the tunnel, their motion hurling horrifying shadows around their domain. In their midst was another hideous subterranean composite behemoth, and unlike the other freak, rather than an orgasmic blood-fueled seizure, this one didn't appear delighted at all. Its abnormal arms were flailing in an irate frenzy, scissoring through the mosquito horde and slicing wings and segmenting bodies, smashing them against the rough walls. At its feet was another human body, either dead or unconscious, but clearly still largely in one piece. A trail of blood leaked down the side of the person's head to spool out into thin rivulets in the murky water it lay in, but otherwise there was no wanton mutilation no torn open flesh. Manny was no mental giant, but even he could see what the problem was. The blood of this luckless sewer lurker, gifted to the furious fiend, had not been to its liking whatsoever, sending it into a rage and costing plenty of the gliding mosquitoes their lives in the process, which meant if the blood injected into this freak's ghastly tongue was impalatable, then the body wasn't about to be ravaged, torn apart, and devoured. Whether the mosquitoes would get the go-ahead to drain it of blood, Manny hadn't a clue, but he knew one thing. The furious, unsated beast had yet to eat, and would be demanding new meat to be hunted down for it. Shit. Shit. Taking a left-hand turn at the intersection had been a mistake. A fucking bad mistake. Manny backpedaled swiftly and slipped into Suwemeyer. He went down in a tangle. The frightened yelp that escaped him was wholly involuntary. He'd been aiming for no noise at all. His bag bore the brunt of the fall, splashing into foul water as he landed on his back like an upended turtle. He wasted little time in finding his feet again, albeit with some difficulty and much erratic arm flailing. But by then, his presence in the region hadn't gone unnoticed. A malevolent wave of light was sweeping down the tunnel towards him. Giant mutant motherfucking mosquitoes, their iridescent wings beating like enormous industrial fans. Drenched in sewer water and piss, the weight of the sodden bag hanging heavy like his own personal fucking albatross, Manny blundered back around the corner where another surge of freakish illumination drowned the darkness he'd been expecting. This time, both Russian mosquito hordes were coming with a plethora of sound emanating from them. It sounded like a cavalcade of sirens, police sirens. Manny wished it was police sirens. As he froze, rooted to the spot in other terror, Manny wished every manhole or entry point to this sewer of death and aberrations would come open and pour police into the place. 
swarming to arrest him and save him. A whole bag of stolen money hanging heavy on his back, and Manny couldn't buy his way out of this shit. As the monstrous insects closed in, each massive proboscis eagerly seeking the sweet spot that would appease their master, Manny wondered whether his blood would be to the sewer dweller's satisfaction. <laughs> That was Sewer Dwellers by author Jim Goforth. A good reminder that one who is righteous walks blameless. And by walking blameless, I mean you don't typically have to go walking through shit. Also, be careful of what kind of chemicals you go pouring down the drain. I don't know what's going on down there, but regular mosquitoes are pesky enough. There's really no need to start mutating them. A little about the author. Jim Goforth is a horror author currently based in Albury, Australia. Happily married with two kids and a cat, he's been writing tales of horror since the early 90s. After years of detouring into working with the worldwide extreme metal community and writing reviews for hundreds of bands across the globe with Black Bell Music, he published his first book, Plebs, with J. Ellington Ashton Press. Since, he's appeared in dozens of anthologies and authored With Tooth and Claw, Extreme Metal Undead Opus, Undead Flesh Crave, The Zombie Trigger, Riders, Plebs 2, Book 1 and 2, The Sleep, Carnival of Chaos, and Festival of the Flesh, and co-authored the novel Feral Hearts. He's also self-published some great stuff, including the Extreme series, Extremes, More Extremes, Greater Extremes, and Extremes Couples. Friends Billy Joel says he doesn't know why he goes to extremes. Well, I guess it's the same reason he'll drink a handle of vodka and go driving into buildings. Because life's too short not to enjoy yourself. So make sure you head to Amazon and check out Jim Goforth's Extreme series. Not only will you have a good time, but you'll be making the right decision. And as we've seen, decisions have consequences. One more thing while I have y'all. My pal Jonathan Fessmeyer has a Kickstarter going to get his new Bodacious Creed book published. If you haven't heard of this series, they're steampunk zombie westerns. Wild shit, right? I narrated the second book in the series, Bodacious Creed and the Jade Lake. And if he meets his goal, I'll certainly be narrating the third one too. Let's make that happen. To view the Kickstarter page and a video I recorded for him, Visit www.gbooks.biz, G-B-O-O-K-S dot B-I-Z. And if you'd like to hear the book I already recorded, check out Bodacious Creed and the Jade Lake on audible.com. And as long as you're feeling generous, subscribe to this podcast wherever you do your listening and leave me a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. Again, it's probably a life or death decision, and you know I only want the best for you. And remember, we are accepting submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Story, bio, plugs, continental breakfast, the works. Well... 
I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, but don't go driving in the buildings. Stay on the right path, cause every path has an end to it, and some are a little nicer than others. This week, I'd like to recognize three of our YouTube listeners. Teddy Dog, James Looks Twice, and Mook, the One Man Mafia. Now, assuming Mook hasn't sworn an oath of Omerita under some other shady organization, I'd like to welcome all three into my own organization. So, if there's no disagreement from anyone in attendance, here goes. Teddy Dog, James Looks Twice, and Mook. May the wind be at your back. May the road rise up to meet you. May you never betray your fellow audiophiles. And above all, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Good night, y'all. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.